This episode is brought to you by Leave It In The Ring Radio. All boxing, no filter. Oh! It's another knockdown! He's not getting up, Jim! He's not getting up, Jim! He's not getting up! No, he's been knocked out! It's over! Mamma mia! He's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! AJ does it in style! Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit! It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, Fight Fans. It is Wednesday, April 3rd, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Murkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinatospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. And before I get into the review section, the deep dive this week will be on Just how much boxing content is out there right now for all parties and what this means, what you do about it as a consumer, what it kind of means. And it's a little bit more open-ended than than a normal deep dive. And just to let you guys know, next week I'm going to do a QA and a as the deep dive. I've gotten a lot of questions over email. I try to respond or just kind of do them on the podcast when they come up. A lot of you guys email me about stuff that I'm probably going to talk about anyways, but I'll try to be better about giving shout-outs. but I'm going to, you know, definitely, and I'll put this out on Twitter too, definitely send me stuff because I haven't done a Q&A in a while and I think there's just so much stuff happening right now. I've tried to keep the deep dives to the point where they just focus totally on one issue, but there's a lot of like news and notes that maybe doesn't warrant a complete deep dive, but I think that's really, you know, there's really interesting stuff. So uh, if you have any questions, just send them to me and I know I got a backlog of a couple too that I can get into um, and then the one after that, I'm going to look at zone. You know, I said last episode I wrote an article on them and that all-important stretch. And I'm going to go even deeper than I did in the article. The article was like 1,200 words. Um, you know, I mean, these deep dives are four or five times as long as that. I, I'm going to I'm gonna really get into it. Um, I know there was news today that they're selling part of the company. And I'll talk about that. You know, that's not anything super new. That was always sort of part of the plan. I'll talk about that. Um, you know, I'll even touch on it a little bit this episode from a high level, but I'll talk about that in much sort of greater detail two episodes from now, be, right before their big stretch of fights. Um, <clears throat> and then one more thing. I know I said I won't talk about this from a journalistic standpoint regarding the April 20th Crawford Con fight uh, because I'm consulting on that for Top Ranking ESPN, but I would love to get feedback from listeners on the 30-second spot um, that's now out on social media. Top Rank has put it out there. Obviously, I'm really biased on this uh, because I worked on it, but I really believe that it's taking the presentation of boxing into a new modern direction. Um, and and you know, other people have have said that to me, but I would love constructive criticism on it. I would love um, just thoughts in general on it. Um, you know, hopefully you'll be seeing it a lot in the coming weeks. 
but <clears throat> let's move on to the review section. On Saturday, March 23rd, on ESPN, we have Kubrat Pulev beating Bogdan Dinu by KO7 at heavyweight, and then Jesse Magdaleno defeating Rico Ramos, a weight-drained, missing weight Rico Ramos, by unanimous decision at featherweight. The show averages 469,000 viewers and was <coughs> excuse me, the 64th-rated cable show of the night. A pretty bad TV showing and a pretty bad rating by ESPN here. The lead was the NCAA Wrestling Championships, which averaged 625,000 viewers and was the 31st rated show of the night. And just overall context here, seven of the top rated shows on cable were NCAA tournament games. CBS clearly won the night on network TV with the the NCAA tournament. So look, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can look at this in particular. I'm actually going to take a look at this as part of the deep dive uh, when I look at just the proliferation of boxing on TV and like why we're getting a show like this. So um, I'm also going to talk about the next one, too, that we got the next day on Sunday, March 24th on FS1. We had a fight of the year candidate with Sergey Lipinets beating Lamont Peterson by KO10. Also on the card, Anthony Peterson with a majority decision against Argenis Mendez. And then there was that fight sandwich in the middle, um, which I did not, I do not remember the names of those two fighters, but I did not think that needed to be part of the broadcast. Let me be clear. The fight or the show averages 248,000 viewers, peaking at 290K. And oddly enough, the prelims average more viewers. The prelims averaged 374,000 viewers and was the 150th rated cable show of the night. You know, and this one, the crazy thing, the, the really disappointing thing for me here, Sergey Lipinets, Lamont Peterson is a fight of the year candidate, absolutely. And it didn't even make the top 150 cable shows of the day. You know, again, here, NCAA tournament dominates the ratings on cable with eight of the top 10 rated shows. The Walking Dead actually wins the night. Um, and then, the, you know, the prelims do better because they had a pretty strong NASCAR telecast as their lead-in for FS1. Um, I'm going to talk about this one in context, too, because this is one... I'm not going to knock the PBC on this one, even though they got a really bad rating on this. Um, I and, and I'll get to that later. I'm, I'm not going to kill them on this. Th- this was... Yes, I'm biased. I've, I... I grew up in a part of Virginia about two hours from D.C. I followed the Lamont Peterson story. I, I love him. And I also think Sergey Lipinets just makes exciting fights. Um, so I was – and I thought this would be a good fight anyways. It isn't – it's not a great rating. But I, th- I think when you look at it in greater context, I think it's it was a worthy experiment. And I'll get to that later. So then on Saturday, March 30th, we had two cards. One on ESPN where – Alexander Vazdik beats Dudu Ngambu by KO5 from an injury, which actually it didn't look serious, but now we're hearing reports that it is a really serious injury. And then Igidis Kavaluskis, a majority draw with Ray Robinson. The broadcast averages 655,000 viewers, peaking at 832,000 viewers. It was the number 33-rated show of the night on cable. It gets the benefit of a very strong lead-in from the UFC, which averages 828,000 viewers and was the number 9-rated show on cable for the night. March Madness still dominating the ratings, as you can imagine. Um, And I'll talk a little bit about this. You know, just... On the undercard here, 
the way Kavaluskas looked, you know, there was like, oh, maybe he can, with a, a big victory here over Ray Robinson, maybe he gets the Crawford fight. You know, I know top rank doesn't have a whole lot of options at welterweight. Cal, I mean, <laughs> Kavaluskas should not have gotten the, the Terrence Crawford fight with a win over Ray Robinson to begin with. Uh, he should be headlining his own card at least once before he fights. And I know he was an injury fill-in uh, last year, but you know he should get the full push of headlining a card before he fights Terrence Crawford. Let's let's pump the brakes on Cavaluskas and, and Mean Machine. He's he was looking very one-dimensional in this, and and you know the main event. And I'll talk about this the this show more as a concept on the deep dive. But the main event, I mean, Bostic, uh He's clearly going to have to be. He, he's very talented. Clearly going to have to be matched well if we're going to see him in good television. Um, but I, I, you know, I like him as a fighter. It's it, it's not that I don't like him. I do like him as a fighter. I think he's really good. Uh, but moving on, the uh, zone on March thirtieth, Liam Smith beat Sam Eggington by KO five, and uh, Ryan Garcia beats Jose Lopez by KO two. Those are really the only fights I'm going to cover from the zone. Both of these fall into the category of I don't really care that much. Like, let's see Liam Smith in a big fight. And then Ryan Garcia. I mean, let's we could pause and talk a little bit about this. Like, we're seeing he had a weird fight. I think it was last August or September. Um, he didn't look great there. And then we've seen this is his second fight since then. He's looked really good with the Reynosos. And what I would just say here is the zone in particular is a service aimed at tech savvy, relatively younger people aimed at people who where streaming is going to be their primary way of viewing something. And let's be real. So is Ryan Garcia. He's aimed at that audience too. He's kind of perfect for a platform like the zone. And I think, you know, you watch him, and yes, in the ring, there are warning signs. Um, I'll let other people talk about that kind of stuff in the ring of how he looks. I mean, you know, obviously, there's hand speed. There's, you know, his sort of chin is up and open. and You know, other, other people can talk about that better than I can. But, you know, there are defensive issues. But here's what I say. Don't mess this up, Golden Boy, please. He is someone... Um, he. He brings it from haters and people who love him. You know, he talks about, oh, he brings the women in and all that kind of stuff. He's got the great social media presence. Um, and I don't think, you know, I, I don't think, you know, women are important for boxing. It skews male for sure, but women are really important. He, but he brings in casuals and he brings them in a demo that fits his own. So let's, let's. He's he should be in soft touches till he figures figures this out a little bit more in the ring. But out of the ring, he's a great match for DAZN. Okay, um, let's move on to the deep dive. You know, again, I was <clears throat> I was actually planning on doing a PBC ratings deep dive. I'm going to hold off on that uh, for a few reasons, and some of it I talked about last episode, where I just don't really think it's fair to the PBC to talk about ratings that they're getting right now because they aren't getting the on-air promotion that they were initially getting. And that Fox Live strategy that we've talked about on this podcast a lot has yet to take full flight. Like, we're just now starting to get baseball here. WWE hasn't started yet. Football, they had, like, two fights that, you know, that were helped out, or three fights if you count, 
the FS1 show that were helped out by football, and that's it. You know, and now we're seeing the ramifications of that. So instead, I'm going to address something that I've talked about with a lot of smart people. I've gotten some emails about this, some other stuff. You know, is what, what do you do just with the proliferation of boxing content that we're seeing right now? Like, quite frankly, like, when do we have too much boxing on TV? And, like, what does that do to the quality of fights? What does that do to the ratings? How do we all feel about it? And so let's just start out with what's been going on this year, like 2019 in the world of boxing. I was bullish on what we were going to get this year coming in, and I'm still actually pretty bullish on it. We haven't seen a lot of great stuff yet. Now, I think that that will come, and the the good or great stuff that we have seen has mostly been on pay-per-view, and we're starting to see trends uh, where over the last few months, the ratings just are, you know, they're still there for the bigger fights, but they're they're not improving the way that that we'd like to see them improve certainly on this podcast and and for core fans of the sport in general and i don't think that should be the narrative by the way like if you look at it, like i'm sure you can find oh this show here underperformed and this show here underperformed and there's a lot of shows that have been under, underperforming but there's also been some good numbers in in moments and when you consider the context for all of it Like, the good stuff is coming in April and May. Like, that's really good stuff that's coming. And I think there should be more really good stuff coming later in the year. But we haven't seen it yet. I mean, we've seen a lot of sort of meh boxing and then some good in-house matchups and some very entertaining B-level fights. Uh, and, And you'll hear this over and over again. Like, the solid boxing after dark main events on HBO are like a great undercard to like a, a, a world championship boxing HBO event or like a Showtime undercard from 2018 that was really good. Like, why is that? Like, why are we seeing a lot of those and not the really big fights? Well, there's several ways you can answer this question. And I think before we even do that, I think the bigger question is what do hardcore boxing fans want their consumer experience to be? Because right now, there is a humongous battle being fought by four different networks for your eyeballs. I mean, I'm assuming only hardcore fans are listening to this podcast. And, you know, you think that should be great for you in theory. And I think it will end up being good for all of us. But right now, there's there's just so much boxing. Like, at a certain point, I don't have it in me to watch two or three different cards each weekend. And I'm not even getting into, you know, I know there's people who listen to this in foreign countries in the UK, like that's what's happening in the United States. And like, if you live in, like I live in Los Angeles where you have the benefit, the stuff on the UK comes on during the day. Like that's like a, you know, coming on at one or two or three o'clock. I don't even know how you guys watch it in the UK. Um, you know, I've talked to some of you guys on social media about this and you get up at weird hours in the morning to watch it live. I mean, I take my hat off to you on that stuff. Like, so <clears throat> whether you watch it on replay or, or you DVR it or, or you stream it, but you don't know the result and you got to watch it Sunday morning. I mean, look, I t- again, I take my hat off to you. I, like you're hardcore fans and there's just so much of this stuff. Like, should there be other nights of the week where, where we might see solid boxing on television? 
Um, I've gotten a few messages about that, and I'll shout out Donovan Leonard who emailed me about it uh, specifically. But these are all great questions, and, and I'll address that one a little bit later because I think there is room for that. And some of you listening to this, you might take the attitude of you're like, quite frankly, the easiest hardcore boxing fan out there. Like you say to yourself, hey, if boxing's on TV, then I'm watching it, especially if it's good. And there's a lot more layers to that. And I'll try to get to all that stuff and give some specific examples. But I think there's going to be this running theme over 2019 and maybe 2020. Because from my viewpoint, there are some smaller nuanced issues in terms of how you deal with all this. And then there's like the bigger sort of force of the trees type of issues with stuff that's going on at a much higher level for the bigger stuff. So let's look at the smaller stuff first. Even just looking at what we watched from these past two weekends, there's like a noticeable nuance in how to approach this new world that we're living in. Top Ranks card on the first weekend of March Madness does, to my knowledge, the lowest rating on regular ESPN, like in the duration of their time on ESPN. I mean, maybe they did one show that was lower, but it's, it, I mean, it's definitely in the bottom 10%, let's say, of, of ratings that they've done. And I mean, it wasn't terribly low given the circumstances. I mean, this is the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, and no one would expect a great rating at all. So ESPN counters, and, and this is, you know, and I'll get into this a little bit later, but ESPN counters the NCAA men's term, you know, men's basketball tournament with NCAA wrestling, followed by a, <clears throat> a top-ranked boxing card void of remarkable fights with a main event featuring two foreign heavyweights with no U.S. fan base that is really mostly there just to get like the process started of having Tyson Fury opponents that people have heard of. And PBC faces the same NCAA tournament issue on FS1, and we get NASCAR counter-programming during the day. It actually did quite well. And then the prelim fights do better than the main card because that, and then you have the, you know, the main card doesn't do well at all, and it has like a fight on it that hardcore fans like absolutely knew would be really good if not great, and it turned out to be a fight of the year. So let's look at this at a couple different levels. Like first of all, if I put my ESPN or FS1 hat on, I'm definitely putting boxing on during the weekend of NCAA tournaments for a few different reasons. And NASCAR falls into this category too. You want to counter-program something like the NCAA tournament that you are – any anytime there is something like the NCAA tournament, which you are one hundred percent sure is going to capture all the oxygen in the room, you want to counter program in something that's just it, at least in sports is the total opposite of it. I mean, it's like that philosophy of how do you counter program the Super Bowl? I mean, you do it with like Bambi, or you you know you do it with something that's just the total opposite of the Super Bowl, and. The, you know, the official marketing term for this would be called, quote-unquote, earned media. And all the earned media is going to go to the NCAA tournament. And this means that, like, all the PR that's going to the NCAA tournament, all the people talking about it on social media, that's considered earned media. Like, they're all talking about the NCAA tournament. They don't really care about Livignette's Peterson or, or you know, Pulev Dinu. Like, earned media is essentially free media that you don't pay for. Like, you pay for a 30-second spot. You pay for a billboard. Um, and so whenever there's something like the NCAA tournament, you're never going to put your prime inventory up against it. 
like you want to put up something that you know has a hardcore fan base that doesn't care as much about the NCAA tournament, and you'll at least do well enough with that audience so you get a respectable number. So you turn to boxing or wrestling or NASCAR, and that's fine for boxing. A lot of the Twitterazzi hates hearing this, but a lot of these dates that boxing gets on Fox and ESPN are literally just filler. Like, boxing is cheaper than other programming. I've said that a lot before. And it doesn't have a season. So when there's crappy dates that come up, you give it to boxing to be filler. And yeah, like, you aren't the bell at the ball or anything like that, but we're talking Pulev Dinu here or Vazdik Dudu here. Like, not some amazing can't-miss fight. Because when I put my top rank or PBC hat on here, and this is PBC, the broadcasting entity, not the management part. Well, I guess maybe maybe you could even include the management part of it too. But if a network is going to give you a date, take it. Don't sit here and say, oh man, I don't want the Fistionados podcast or like, you know, Keith Eideck on boxing scene or somebody, you know, somebody say, oh look, Top Rank and PBC got a crappy rating because like at the end of the day, you just want the date. You want to develop fighters both in and out of the ring. You want casuals to have heard of Pulev or Lipinets when they're actually in big fights against big names. And the way to do that is by, even if they didn't watch the fight, maybe they read about it the next day. You want to have a promo for the big fight with Pulev or Lipinets that actually has some authenticity to it. So when you see Lipinets knocking down a fighter, it's Peterson. It's a real fighter. It's pe- it's a fighter people have heard of. It's not Pula. You know, it's it, it it's Pulev in against a guy who really looks like he should be there. Not some out of shape dude who you know who you look at and you're like, ah, oh, this guy's just fought a bunch of jokes. So even though you know it's a Sisyphean task to get a good rating here, just take the date. But then, what content do you deliver? In the PBC's case. You gave them excellent inventory. I mean, yeah, it's not like the highest profile fighters in the world. You got a Kazakh that, you know, few people other than hardcore fans have heard of fighting a veteran who hasn't really been super active recently and I guess was clearly like mentally ready to retire. But everyone who knows boxing knew that this one would be a great fight. And you have to wonder, like, if it was the main event for a Showtime card, I mean, like, I I actually think it's, you know, there's an upcoming Showtime card on April 27th. I think it's, I think it's better than the main event for that one. Like, would it have done better than, than the viewing numbers than it did here in FS1? And the answer is yes. But like I said up top, I'm not going to kill a PBC on this because they took a chance on a great fight that they put on a Sunday, not a Saturday night against the NCAA tournament. And they got some important information out of it. We now clearly know that for boxing to really succeed on FS1, NASCAR isn't the right lead-in. And it needs the benefit of promotion from that other sport, you know, sports, that live events thing, but actually the ones that have the crossover potential. Baseball definitely does. WWE, for me, definitely does. I mean, the Caleb Plant fight did almost three times as many viewers on average, and it's basically the same level fight on paper. But it obviously had the benefit of, of huge promotion on the NFL and NFL playoffs. And I think that's valuable info for the PBC in terms of how they utilize their inventory. I mean, look, I still wanted more people to watch a fight that I thought would be great coming in, but it is really valuable info. 
And then let's even t- you know further look at Top Rank and what they were doing with, with ESPN on March 30th. So Top Rank on ESPN basically says, okay, we're getting two dates during the NCAA tournament, one right after NCAA wrestling, which probably audience-wise crosses it. You know, NCAA wrestling is a combat sport. I wrestled in high school and college, and it probably audience-wise crosses over much more with the UFC than with boxing. But they're both combat sports. It's a worthy experiment to see, okay, can we capture some of that audience? And then, you know, it gets another date right after the UFC. And that UFC card, honestly, it was like the top-ranked stuff. You know, it was honestly a very mediocre card. It did have a really great main event. You know, the Barbosa gaethje main event was a really great one. But, like, overall, I think any UFC fan would say, oh, you know, it's an eh card. And Top Rank takes a different tack than the PBC. They say, all right, we're just sort of dumping some of our inventory, like headlined by foreign fighters, match softer in these dates. We know they're not great dates from ESPN. So after wrestling, they, yeah, they got one of their lower rated shows that they've gotten so far. But they actually got a pretty solid number after the UFC card. And these are with fights on paper that weren't competitive at all. I mean, I think Vazdik was like a 50 to 1 favorite. And the UFC crowd out there, they'll talk about, oh, this the UFC, it did a lot less viewers than the first UFC on ESPN. You know, but guess what? I mean, I think opposite the NCAA tournament, this combo is a success. Like that rating, even for, for top-ranked boxing, I mean, look, top-ranked boxing, Vazdek is a really talented fighter, but he's not a known commodity going up against the NCAA. I mean, and it did pretty well. I mean, it did, you know, it that was like a, it's not a great rating for him, but like, Considering what you're up against, I mean, that's a that's a really strong rating. And you have to think that the UFC top-ranked boxing combo is going to be utilized again if it, if it works like this, not just as, as counter-programming, but as featured programming. <clears throat> and when you take all this in the greater context, I mean, that explains the last two weeks. Like, okay, there's some experimenting going on, and there's some worthy experiments. But why, on an overall level... Why are we getting like too many sort of quote unquote building fights, like too many B level fights or fights that are matched really well and make good TV, but don't involve a star fighting a star? I mean, I think, I don't know, but I think a lot of this is just, it's bad timing to start the year. I mean, right now, if I'm going to sum it up succinctly, I think all the powers to be are rightly in a building stage for bigger fights. I know that's not what people want to hear, and it's coming from a former exec and a network that did this, but it's true. If you're PBC right now, I get why you're building. I get it. You have a lot of inventory and a new home at Fox with a bigger platform, and you want to introduce your audience to PBC fighters there. I mean, if you're advising Deontay Wilder to turn down that kind of money from DAZN, you have to be building. You're in the first year of a TV deal with Fox. You've only had two Fox and one FS1 shows that have had the advantage of promo and football. You don't have, like I said, the WWE or baseball yet where you can get much more like week-in, week-out promo. But you need to see what works and what doesn't on Fox. And then you also need to keep Showtime happy. And I think with the PBC, the fall is going to look a lot different than the winter and the spring. And I think year two might also look a lot different than year one. But... They are building. That's what they're doing right now. If you're top rank on ESPN right now, like 
you have a few big name fighters in a few divisions where you have a majority of the great fighters, but there isn't an obvious match out there for Lomachenko or Crawford after, you know, I mean, Crawford cons, I think that's really strong, but there's not one for Fury either. Like there, you know, there, there's obviously there's two really big ones, but you don't have, you know, you're, you're trying to build towards Pulev. Like you're trying to, you need to sign and build heavyweights as quickly as possible. Even with light heavyweight, Vostek won the title on Showtime, but no one watched it. And so now you have him, you have Kovalev, where at least you have, I don't know, his next fight or two, uh, but not necessarily locked down on long-term. And he's not really there for long-term anyways, at least I don't think. I mean, you know, maybe I'm wrong on that. You have Better Beef, you have Zerto. Like, I'm totally fine when I put on my network exec hat of getting these guys a fight or so before you start matching them up together. I mean, remember, you just did match them up together. You had Kovalev versus Alvarez in a really big fight for that division. And you want all these guys to fight each other, but you also want casuals to be excited about it, not just hardcore fans. And remember, for casuals, they see a, re- a record like Bosdick or, you know, they don't see someone where they've heard a lot of the opponents yet. And they're not relying on the hype like, they, oh, he's 16 and no, he can't be that good. But they don't know the context yet. Like, you have to build these guys up and make sure people have seen them once or twice. Even when we go over to DAZN, I think they have less reason to build. I mean, we're starting to see that now. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt. It starts with, you know, everything runs through Hearn at the start, and then it becomes quickly the Golden Boy show with a dash of Hearn. And they don't get to pick Canelo's first fight. So I understand why they look at it as like, all right, let's build to May 4th. And we're getting some impressive inventory starting April 26th there. I would have tried to start those that that level of fight earlier, maybe in February. But I mean, remember, like you can't just wave a magic wand and good fights start to happen. With boxing, it takes even after you announce a good fight, it takes eight or ten weeks for a training camp. So you can't react to this on a daily basis. And my overall point here is that I understand why each platform and promoter is in the building phase right now. It sucks that they're all in that phase. I would have thought there would be more pressure on DAZN to start a few months earlier, but I still think we're going to get some big fights. I mean, you look at the second half of April, you look at May, and that's an incredible stretch run of fights. Every platform is putting on some really quality stuff. I mean, I think fans are going to be okay with watching a ton of B-level fights if they get SSR versus Estrada, the World Boxing Super Series semis. Canelo Jacobs, Crawford Khan, Usyk Takam, AJ Miller, Wilder Brazil. There's other fights in in you know on ESPN. There's other fight you know I'm I'm sure that whole night on Showtime on May 18th is going to be great. But that brings us to the question: What if we're just getting a lot more, but not a lot better? Because you can make an argument that we've gotten a lot of that so far in two, 2019. I mean that's what I've talked about so far. Yes, there have been you know some bigger fights so far. We're about to see a bunch of them. But just look at two weekends from now. This is probably the weekend that, for most people, summarizes best what we've seen so far in 2019. We got a star fighter in Lomachenko, but he's in a walkover fight on ESPN+. And then the following day, we've got a card on Showtime, FS1, and DAZN. All with decent fighters, but none with proven draws. Showtime has a high-profile women's fight that I'm really looking forward to. 
But it's not like we're at the point in women's boxing where this is peak Ronda Rousey or anything like that in terms of hype for the fight. And FS1 has a really good main event. But it's not like circle your calendar kind of stuff. It could be a really good main event. It probably will be a really good main event, but it might not be. It's classic, solid, boxing after dark, Showtime undercard fight. The Zone has Jaime Munguia fighting, which is notable to core fans. And for me, I'm interested in seeing more Jaime Munguia, but he's in a walkover fight. So what does this all do to your psyche? It goes back to what I said up top. Like, It's like I'm interested. I have to watch three different fights on three different platforms on the same night just to cobble together. What I really just want to see is one fight card. It's a lot to unpack, actually, because you can take this in a few different directions. When there's that much boxing on, from a pure business marketing standpoint, things get a little freaky because you have to break through the clutter if you are going to make an event stand out. And so far, none of this is breaking through for a variety of reasons. First of all, even with hardcore fans, this is just a ton of content to watch. I can't even keep up with it, and I do a whole podcast on this stuff. In a perfect world for me, I don't really care who is televising the fights, but I'd like one fight card per weekend with like two or three solid matchups on it. I don't like it when there's three different cards, a lot of which only have one fight I'm interested in, and I have to cobble together that viewing experience that I just talked about. I'd rather watch everything live, or at least be able to pause it until my daughter goes to sleep and, you know, I'll just be off social media and I can watch it without knowing the results. That makes a great viewing experience for me, and I don't think I'm too different from a lot of people out there. And that is where I'd like to take a step back and sort of look at the larger picture here. Because when you look at what is at stake from a big picture level, it's huge and it changes things. Even from what's happened historically with big fights on a network or pay-per-views, you know, or or whatever, pay-per-view level fights on a streaming service, you know, shout out to DAZN on that. Um, Even a few years ago, there used to be a much bigger buildup. The marketing and PR started a few weeks out. And I'm not talking like social media targeting that you're going to eventually retarget with. Like when you see a social media ad three or four weeks out now, it's just to see if there's hardcore fans out there that will eventually get another ad. Uh, you're, you're retargeting basically. Like I'm talking there'd be like real on-air or off-channel marketing campaigns. Like billboards, commercials, etc. Shoulder programming starting a month out. That was back when HBO and Showtime maybe televised a combined two or three fights a month, and you could legitimately do that. Now there are so many fights on every weekend that even among boxing hardcores, you can't break through the clutter until the week of, or even really until three days before. This is even for really big fights. It's true for UFC too. Ten years ago, there was at least a month or two And in the early days, even more time between pay-per-views or big fights. And now there's stuff on virtually every weekend in, in, in MMA as well. You're wasting your time and money by building a fight that far out unless it's just a gigantic mega fight like Mayweather Pacquiao or Mayweather McGregor, something like that. And this is just the marketing and PR side. On the programming side, we're at a point now where you have to stop caring whether you're up against a big fight or not. 
and why? Because even while you are fighting this week-to-week battle, you're fighting a much larger war. If you think ESPN signed Tyson Fury out of the goodness of their hearts, like you're crazy. If you think PBC has been fighting tooth and nail to keep most of their fighters from going over to DAZN just because they want to make sure that Showtime and Fox are happy with them, you're wrong about that too. Like This is corporate war. ESPN and Fox Sports, like they especially want DAZN out of business in the U.S. They don't care if it means increasing a relatively small boxing deal in the grand scheme of things for ESPN and Fox Sports. I mean... This is the foreign affairs equivalent of like the U.S. fighting other superpowers in a small Asian or Latin American or Middle Eastern or African country. This is like, okay, DAZN's into boxing, so guess what? Now we're going to be into boxing and we're going to beat them at it because the last thing we want is DAZN building a large enough subscriber base such that the NFL gives them Sunday ticket or the NBA gives them a digital package or something like that. We don't want another competitor. Like, we're sitting here in boxing being like, oh, man, I can't believe ESPN aired Pulev versus Dinu in a main event. And it drew bad numbers. But the reality is I'm sure ESPN's top brass doesn't give a shit about that at all. And all they really, you know, in terms of that, they just really want to make sure that Tyson Fury has an opponent. They don't They don't want Tyson Fury ending up fighting Anthony Joshua on zone. They want to make sure that they get that fight. On pay-per-view on ESPN. I don't know this for a fact, but I mean, I can tell you based on my time in the entertainment industry, I mean, this is probably the case. I mean, if you, look, I think the top brass at Disney, like, they're competitive about this because John Skipper used to be the head of ESPN, and now he's head of DAZN. When you think about the big picture like that, like, no, top brass at these places, like, they don't really care that much about, oh, a great fight like Lipinets versus Peterson didn't do that great of numbers. Like, they care a lot more about who Deontay Wilder is fighting next. And they would much prefer it to be Dominic Brazil or Tyson Fury on pay-per-view than Anthony Joshua. Or if it's Anthony Joshua, then on Fox or Showtime pay-per-view. Which, side note, puts a lot of pressure on people like me because if you've listened If you listen to the last couple episodes here, I mean, (coughs) really what that means, you know, I kind of said AJ versus Wilder on pay-per-view needs to do 3 million buys um, total, you know, 1.5 million per fight. And I've heard from a couple different people on this. And so I just want to make that clear. Like I came up with that number by giving PBC every single beneficial split and benefit of the doubt and didn't take into consideration any external cost undercard costs, anything like that. I mean, it's probably close to 1.7, 1.75-ish as a number where you start to be like, okay, we're happy, we're profitable. But either way, can you imagine your boss walking into a meeting and saying, top management has said that you need to make this fight a success and have 1.75 million pay-per-view sales, even though Wilder's last fight did 325,000 pay-per-views. And the first thing you'll say to them is like, well, look, there's no way we're going to hit that number. So we got to delay the fight as long as possible, and I'm just going to take every single marketing dollar I have, and and we're going to take put every PR effort into just building up these guys more into recognizable names with fights on the network first. Like that's going to be your response. So what does all that do for you, the consumer, at a high level? Well, it, you know, it depends. I mean, look, 
from an if you talk to an economist, it depends which economist you talk to. I mean, someone would tell you that competition for eyeballs means the content needs to improve. And the winner of this giant war will consistently put on the best products so quality matters greatly. You also might hear that this much quantity means that you'll fail to break through, like I just have gone into detail about, and every show will suffer with smaller numbers. And you're essentially all fighting this losing battle, and whoever emerges as the victor will have won just you know, a Pyrrhic victory, basically. But you know, neither of these, these, these are extremes. They're not really, they're both kind of true, but they're not both fully correct because there's a lot more nuance with this that comes with the boxing landscape. Like, we don't know how this is all going to shake out. I mean, I've long said this, but I definitely think there will be this, like, this much boxing on four networks. I don't think there'll be four net four separate networks, like maybe three years from now, televising this much boxing. You know, from a very top line, like you've heard me say this before, but you know, I think what top rank on ESPN doing is sustainable. They're pretty strategic about how they approach everything, and in general, you get a lot of well matched fights considering the circumstances. You know, but again, like you also get a lot of those boxing after dark type matchups, a lot of the great undercard type matchups. You get a lot of filler during March Madness. Like, there's several different categories of the types of shows they put on. You know, I've been less high on PBC on Fox in terms of ratings recently, but honestly, like, if they can execute the strategy that Fox has laid out, you know, honestly, there's hope. I mean, it's not just if they can execute this strategy that I've been talking about a lot. Like, I actually feel they can be the best performer. Like, I've said that there's... They have the highest variance in term, you know, across the board in terms of deal. But like that means they can be the best. It's not just like oh, it's terrible now. Well, right now, if, you know, there there isn't much stuff to prop it up. But if they turn this into a set a success, I think it can be the best. Look, they can also be the first deal that's canceled or not renewed as well. Like it's the highest variance. I mean, we need a lot more info from Showtime, but let's be real here. If their schedule ends up being pretty similar to what we're seeing on Fox and FS1 in terms of quality fights, that's not a great sign. I mean, I think that, you know, Wilder Brazil on regular Showtime is a great start, and, and they've been light this year, and I, and last year they were great. But, you know, they. I mean, you know, that's the weird thing about PBC having two partners in this. For Showtime to continue to successfully do this, they need to be better than Fox. It's just really that simple. You pay 15 bucks a month for Showtime for the most part. Actually pay more than that. There's other people who pay less if you get a bigger deal. Um, but, you know, Fox is free. The zone 2, wildest variance of where it could be in a few years. If they get a sign-up that they get that bigger contract like NFL Sunday Ticket or NBA or something like they're gonna be just fine. Yeah, they're throwing around money right now, and the boxing industry seems to be waiting, thinking, "Okay, let's get through this crazy phase where DAZN has lost their mind, and then we'll see what happens." But I wouldn't be taking that attitude. DAZN is remaking the boxing industry, but mostly because they have further ambitions to get other sports, and they need boxing to build a base for them. Like when you look at it that way, like does it really matter if they overpaid Tevin Farmer by a couple hundred grand? No. It matters that they get the truly elite fights. And even for those, does it matter if they quote-unquote overpay for them? Like, does it matter if they commit $100 million to Wilder if he gets the Joshua fight on his own, if he gets two of them? No. 
Not if they get enough subs to convince the NFL that they can be the new home for Sunday ticket. A hundred million bucks is, is, I mean, that's that's a fraction of what they'd be paying for the NBA or the NFL. And the whole point is to get one of those deals. You know, cross over the audiences, make sure people are happy. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're not going to be throwing this much boxing money in boxing forever, but I've gone into detail in the past how I think it can work, and and I think it's smart. It's risky. It's ambitious. But if I had the same goal that they have, I would be making a lot of the same moves that they're making right now. So what does this mean for you, the consumer, on a week-in, week-out level? Well, you may just eventually have to give up on the mediocrity and stop watching certain cards. I mean, life's too short to be constantly watching fights where there's a 25-to-1 favorite, and it's not that exciting television. And I'm not saying there's tons of that. I think there's, there's some of that out there right now. But there's not... A lot, you know, they, they, we've still seen some decent TV so far this year. I think if you stop tuning into the mediocre events, though, like network executives will pay attention. I mean, but if you're like me and you love the sport, I think it's more important to reward good behavior. Like, tune into the good fights. Let people know on social media and with your eyeballs. Like, if you like or don't like what they're doing. I mean, don't be ridiculous about it. But like more importantly, if you see a fight like Libanez versus Peterson on the schedule, watch it. Don't let it get the rating that it got. Like when DAZN puts out a great schedule like they have at the last, you know, last weekend in April and, and May and the first weekend in June, subscribe and let them know that you like it. And this goes back, <coughs> excuse me, this goes back to the question that, you know, I got in from, I think, Donovan Leonard earlier. It's like, should boxing be on more nights on television? And I think the clear answer here is yes. It's just figuring out how to do it. Like, remember, in the past year, we've seen a lot more boxing on Friday and Sunday nights than we have in the past. But it's been with really mixed results. Top Rank had the show on ESPN after that NBA game on a Friday in November, and that did really well. But then remember, they also had the Sunday night card with Ramirez earlier this year, and that didn't do as well. PBC on FS1 did really well with Planet Kentucky, but then not great at all on Lipinets versus Peterson. So that begs the question, could a fight like Lipinets versus Peterson do well on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night? Or maybe a Monday night if we aren't in the fall with the NFL. I mean, I think Thursday nights are tough for a variety of reasons. A lot of TV networks are just putting on their best shows that night. But I think Tuesday or Wednesday would, would be a good night to do it. And I, as a consumer, I would welcome that. I mean, if it was more like the one fight card on, on Saturday night, like, if, let me rephrase. If there's multiple fight cards on Saturday night, I'm definitely not mentally ready to watch a card on Monday. I mean, usually that means I'm watching a lot of TV on Saturday night. I have a two-year-old kid and a pregnant wife, so I mean, that's for me. Like, it's totally fine for me to watching be, be watching boxing on a on a Saturday night. But that I, that's not everybody. There's a lot of people younger than me where Saturday night's not a night where they're watching TV. But even for me, I have to watch TV Saturday night and then may probably watch one of the fights on Sunday morning. I'm not mentally ready for a card on Monday, but Tuesday or Wednesday would probably work. So you look at it from a network side. 
okay, the linear places, what, which ones have the real estate? I mean, Fox Sports 1 has the real estate. I mean, probably not Fox. Fox is going to be showing other programming on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Showtime does, but pay cable places like Showtime and HBO are not really built to be watching TV on Tuesday or Wednesday nights. They rarely have new original programming then. And Showtime has Showbox on Friday nights anyways. They already have a series kind of like that. ESPN probably doesn't, based on how many live rights they have and how much NBA, MLB type of programming they televise during the week. I don't think having a secondary show on ESPN2 makes that much sense. We've seen there's a lot of historical evidence to support that. Golden Boy series, Friday Night Fights... Those are just two off the top of my head. But ESPN has, has, has done that before. I think you want to keep it super quality on regular ESPN. ESPN Plus and DAZN do have the real estate, though. And I think especially in DAZN's case, this might make sense. Like, they're actually doing already some Golden Boy Club-level shows on Thursday nights. And I think with DAZN, this is probably significant. More importantly, they just need programming that makes people tune into DAZN on nights other than Saturday night. Like, that's a really important point. I don't ever turn on DAZN on Monday through Friday. Like, now they have the baseball show. I mean, I personally don't care about baseball, but they don't have anything else. Netflix and Hulu don't have this issue because their program is evergreen. It's not live for the most part. Uh, It's definitely not live on Netflix. Hulu obviously does have some live programming through not original Hulu programming, but you get my point. The point is subscribers just go onto those platforms whenever they want, and then they pick what they want to watch. ESPN Plus has enough live programming and studio shows that they probably don't have that issue. You can probably turn on ESPN Plus during the week naturally. But DAZN, I mean, DAZN has that issue. And DAZN, they're not the first subscription service to have this issue. I mean, remember, UFC Fight Pass essentially started a Tuesday night fight series because subscribers there just wanted more fights and that's what they got. And I think the big question is like, how do you promote this correctly? Like, can you get journalists to go cover a fight like Lipinets Peterson on a Tuesday or Wednesday night? Can you get folks to tune in? Because you pretty much have to do this as a regular thing to get people conditioned to this type of programming. Are the fighters going to be okay with this? Because I mean, you're essentially saying that like, this isn't as important as a Saturday night fight. And the best way to get around that is to show the fighters that they'll get a bigger audience for it. But it goes back to, like, will fans show up, both live at the gate and for TV? And older fans of the sport will say that Tuesday night fights on USA did really strong numbers, and it did. But, I mean, remember, it has to air on a place where it makes sense. Basically, Tuesday Night Fights was bringing a separate audience to USA for one night a week, and then it was going back to its normal audience. So it actually didn't really help out USA all that much. And there were also closed-circuit fights. I mean, those bigger fights during the week, the movie theaters needed to be on board, so that you know the bigger fights moved to the middle of the week because uh, the weekends were for movies, but that's really old for the most part. I mean, to me, FS1 makes the most sense for something like this, but it's a tough one. I mean, because Lipinets Peterson probably does a better rating on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. I'm not sure Plant Uzkateki does. I think that benefited heavily from, you know, the promotion that I've already talked about. 
but FS1 also televised a lot of other sports. I mean, I think it, it, it would take a really strong effort to establish that, like, hey, we're putting boxing on Wednesday nights no matter what. I mean, maybe not every single Wednesday night, but two or three nights a month, we're putting on boxing. It's going to be good boxing. doesn't matter if baseball's on or college basketball. It doesn't matter what season it is. Like, it's going to be good boxing. That's a pretty big effort. I mean, I think ESPN would be spreading themselves too thin. They're already relying on Top Rank to do a significant amount of shows on regular ESPN on Saturday nights, and then ESPN Plus as well. And like I said for DAZN, look, this makes sense for them. They're already doing it, though. I don't know if I need those cards. Like, I don't need four interesting fights, like a, a main event and three undercards during the week. But, like, man, like, some of the cards we've gotten on DAZN in January or February, even the one next April 13th, the Jaime Munguia fight, I'd love to have that during the week. That doesn't need to be on Saturday night. I'll watch that on Wednesday night. I'll, I mean, I'll watch that over a Thursday night club show. All right, look, this is turning into one of <clears throat> the stories that I'm just going to follow over the course of of my tenure doing, you know, of, of the rest of 2019, like some of the other sort of stories that we revisit here because it's a worthy thing to look at. It's like, when is when is too much boxing just too much? But let's move on to the preview section. It's short for this upcoming week, and I'm actually, I think I'm ready for a mental break. You know, it's Final Four Saturday night. Uh, I'm just ready to do something other than watch boxing on a Saturday night or, like, frantically catch up with it on a, on a Sunday. That You know, there, there's a showbox card on Friday night. I normally don't cover those here. Occasionally I tune in. This one isn't really that high profile for me. Um, there's an ESPN Plus card from the United Arab Emirates that I don't really care about. Um, and so then let's go into the next weekend. Uh, and, and I referenced this on the deep dive, but Friday, April 12th, <coughs> excuse me, the first, it's it's ESPN Plus, Vasily Lomachenko taking on Anthony Krola, and then Zerto Ramirez fights Tommy, Tommy Carpency on the undercard. Lomachenko, anywhere between a 50 to 100 to 1 favorite at most betting sites, Ramirez about 25 to 1. Um, you can look at this in a few different ways. I'm okay with it as long as we see Lomachenko fight two more times in 2019. Um, if, you, if, he, if he fights twice this year, I don't like this. Uh, Zerto, you know, you get one. I mean, come on. This is a gimme for Zerto. But you get, you get one because you're now in with the big boys. You're moving up in weight, and this is a big division. Um, move up in weight, make the weight, see how you feel, win this fight. I don't love it, but you get one of these, I guess, when you move up. But let's see Zerto in bigger fights after this. On Saturday, April 13th on Showtime, we have Clarissa Shields fighting Christina Hammer in a women's middleweight unification fight. Shields is in between a 3- and 4-1 to betting favorite. So really well-matched fight here, and Showtime has some solid shoulder programming around this. I'm into it. It's the fight I'm looking forward to most on this weekend. So also on Saturday, April 13th on DAZN, we have Jaime Munguia versus Dennis Hogan from Monterey, Mexico. Munguia is 35-51 to favorite. Uh, I'm not too excited about this. I'm really interested, you know, again, like I said on the deep dive, Interested in seeing the development of Jaime Munguia. Not too interested in this fight. I'll probably catch up on it on Sunday morning on DAZN's very nice single fight watch option, which I do, I have grown to love. Uh, And then finally on Saturday, April 13th, 
On FS1, we have a really solid fight with Caleb Truex taking on Peter Quillen in a super middleweight eliminator, and then Sergei Derevchenko taking on Jack Coquet in an IBF middleweight eliminator. Derevchenko is about an 8 or 9 to 1 favorite, but the Truex-Quillen fight comes in at very close odds. I think Quillen is just below a 2 to 1 betting favorite at most sites. Look, another very solid FS1 card. March Madness is over. But this is up against a lot of competition, so let's see how it does. I mean, we're still in that phase with FS1 where we're just taking this in and seeing how it does. But interesting, I mean, like, look, this could be, like, Caleb Truex could not Peter Quillen out, or Peter Quillen could come back and win. We don't know. Like, there's a lot of question marks here, and, and it's talented fighters. So that one I am excited for. Uh, and then I, yeah, I have a feeling Derek Chico will just roll over Jack Colquet. Um I don't, you know, 8 or 9 to 1, I think it's still in that range where Colquet should have a pathway to victory, but I don't see it. So I don't know what, you know, maybe it's just a lot of the betters aren't that familiar with Derevchenko. Um, all right. So good stuff coming up. Again, reminder, email me uh, questions. It's fistinados at yahoo.com. And look, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a real interesting time. And I love talking about this stuff. Give me your feedback on the on the Crawford Con spot. I'm interested in that. Like I said up top, and then enjoy the fights. All right. I mean, this is the, you know again lesser upcoming two weeks, but um, we got some really great stuff coming after that. All right, guys. Bye. Did you get what you was looking for?